We're here to share with you inspiring stories that bring to life all the little and big ways that people bring more love, joy, laughter, and humanness to everyday life. Our focus is the hunt for those little moments that refuel the human soul and reminds us what life is really all about. I invite you to sit back, enjoy the moments, enjoy the stories, the adventures, and the journeys. to another another episode of what the world needs more of my name is jarek robbins i am your host and i am excited to have a very special guest that i've known for a handful of years now uh his name is randy zales randy thank you for joining us absolutely jarek it's good to connect again yes randy we're going to dive straight into the question of the show is what do you believe the world needs more of oh that's easy coffee <laughs> <laughs> More coffee. Uh, it solves everything. Um, you know, I really believe, and this is both from a personal and professional perspective, I think the world needs more critical skills training. Uh, I think from individuals and from companies, you know, the world is changing. Uh, we are living in this uh, VUCA world. You know, it's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, it's ambiguous. And, you know, we're constantly having to kind of adapt and redefine, you know, at a personal level, but, you know, also as professionals in our job roles, uh, companies and their employees. And, you know, we need need new skills, one, to do the jobs that we have that are changing and two, just certain skill sets that are critical to adapt to the future. You know, the ability to be adaptive, to be agile, um, distraction management, social management, there's just an ongoing series of skill sets that if we're going to not only, you know, survive and thrive, you know, we need, they need to be developed either at an individual level or within a company. Hmm. I agree. I agree. I, I like that term. What was it again? VOCA? It's called VUCA. Uh, it's VUCA. volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Wow. Uh, not mine. It stems from the military uh, over the last uh, years just to kind of, create a perspective of the landscape we're in. And if you, I mean, think about, you know, we're just, things change so fast. You know, if you look at someone um, in history, an uh, uh, individual named Buckminster Fuller or Bucky Fuller, okay. he talked about this decades ago. And it was called, a concept he called accelerated acceleration. Hmm. And it was the idea that, uh, that time is, folds on itself. And if you look what we're doing with technology and how we're creating things, we're creating technology at such a faster rate than before that time is being compressed. You know, I mean, look at it. I mean, like our iPhones. I mean, before an iPhone came out, what? Every couple of years, few years was a big deal. Now they're coming out every six to eight months. You know, so what's happening is we're changing technology at a different rate. It's compressing uh, communications, compressing worlds. I mean, the global world is not a theory anymore. It's a reality. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also changing the way we work, how we communicate, how we do things. And uh, it's that's the world we're in. Wow. And so for people to tool up, to prepare for that, to, to really learn, like you said, distraction management, which I don't I don't know how much of that was a thing 50, 60, 70 years ago. Um, you know, the distraction management was unplug the phone or turn off the TV or radio. Yeah, exactly. Where nowadays, I mean, you get bombarded with thousands of hits every day from every direction. I think, like you said, it's only speeding up. Um, well, I mean, yeah, you think about it. So, let you know, you get up in the morning, you start your work, you start working on something. Next thing you know, uh, dang, an email comes in and then you're looking at that email or all of a sudden uh, something else comes in or a package comes in and a book comes in, a report comes in. And before you know it, you're just you're pulling off in 18 different directions you know, and that's not even including if you have a TV on in the background or communication or someone coming in your office. It just, but that's a reality. Uh, but that's a reality. So those are, you know, that's just one skill. But it, it's just, it's the world we're in today. Wow, so true, so true. I love that. I love that concept. Hopefully, 
towards the end of the podcast, we can get in the nuts and bolts of tips around stuff like this. I think it's useful. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. But for right now, my, my second question is what's your wow factor? What makes you uniquely you? And, and what are some moments that help shape it over the years? I would tell you my wow factor is making coffee disappear. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, you know, my, which that is a wow factor for me, but really my biggest thing that I've been doing for 22 years that I love is, is really designing training solutions that, you know, drive performance, productivity and profits. And that has been something that I've been very passionate about. And, uh, and it's not just delivery. Um, you know, a lot of people love to be in front of the room or to be on stage or the one doing the presenting. And that's fine. I do it well. I enjoy it. What I find even more exciting, and this kind of lends itself towards the future, is really training leaders to teach mm. and managers to train because that is where the future is. Uh, you know, it's not just about taking one person and developing their skill set. You know, um, it's not about like taking a sales force and training salespeople to be that much better is no. I mean, imagine what you can do if you could actually take 20 managers inside the company, you know, and take them and up their game where they can train and develop their people in real time. I mean, you think about the scalability, the efficiency, the, uh, the, the infrastructure it creates for an organization. And that's really, um, and that's what I've been working on, uh, for the last you know decade and really doing it in the field is moving in that direction is getting design. I love the design factor. I love designing solutions that work mm -hmm. and then getting them into the hands and delivering them to leaders who can then do it inside their companies. Very cool. Very cool. And what were maybe one or two defining moments of that journey of learning how to do this, of putting it in the motion of, of applying it, practicing, helping distribute it within companies, maybe one well, or two defining moments over the years. Absolutely. You know, one of the first ones for me was I'm a former army officer and a paratrooper. And that is where I probably was well, not probably it's where I definitely learned the power uh, of training. I mean, the army itself is a training organization. It, it lives and breathes on a training calendar. It lives and breathes on training doctrine. You know, when I served, we had something called, um, you know, battle focused training. And it was the idea or you can think of it as mission focused training. It was the idea that you can't possibly train everybody on everything, but if you take a look and say, okay, what is the mission? What has to be achieved at varying levels? And what do they need to know? And what do they need to be able to do to a standard to do that? And so obviously as an officer, you're indoctrinated in that approach and you manage it. And it really hit me because one, one experience I had was my first assignment was I was a second Lieutenant. Um, I was running medical ops for, the uh, first, the 506th Infantry, Kurahi, stands alone, Band of Brothers, Hua. Um, we're on the demilitarized zone. And I had, we were, it was the most, at the time in 91, 1991, it was the most forwardly deployed unit in the Army, hmm. three miles from North Korea. And we had a medical center, mini medical center to support the DMZ and the infantry. But what happened is we had a lab and supply and ER and patient administration and, and multiple functions, yet the combat medics I had on the uh, in my unit were never trained to do those jobs. So I realized real quickly that if, if, this, if we were gonna be able to fully have the capabilities we needed um, was I need to take the right people in this group of, of soldiers, identify which ones with my leaders fit, and then get them trained. And so we arranged to send them downrange into uh, Seoul to have them trained. And we literally built this uh, this whole model that did not exist. And that was kind of one of the first things I saw was having to adapt the, um, you know, and the power of what training could do. Because it completely changed the capabilities of our unit, of what we're able to do. Um, and it got noticed. Um, and then another real big one, honestly, was after the military or the army or kind of a segue into that was, you know, is connecting with your dad, you know, through Anthony Robbins and Associates, the franchise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what happened for me was I got exposed to, you know, unlimited power uh, back actually when I was in the military. I was reading a book. Uh, did you ever see that movie, uh, Men Who Stare at Coats? No. So it's, it's kind of a spoof uh, with George Clooney on a project the Army did called the Jedi Warrior Project. 
And, you know, if you go back in some of the history, that's where, you know, Tony was involved in that from the, uh, the 45 caliber marksmanship with John Grinder. Uh, yes. Yeah. So that all stems all the way back in time. It's kind of funny how things come full circle, you know, and that goes all the way back in time where that, that modeling project per se was done, uh, with John and Tony, uh, and, the, and that was a small piece of a bigger pro, of that bigger project. And I got exposed to that. And then that information, by getting exposed to that project and that insight led me to uh, Tony's work, led me to, to his programs, and then eventually into, you know, the franchise. But the big thing I got, the biggest takeaway were two things, was one, the emotional aspect of applying the emotion, the human aspect to training and development. You can't, you can't ignore that. It just, it cannot be, you know, skills are one thing, but the emotional intelligence, the emotional dynamics are critical to that. And then the second part was, was understanding modeling was really starting to delve into uh, how to model, how to compress time. So those things really, you know, enhanced, you know, as I design training and deliver training is the human aspect is critical to it. And then modeling strategies, um, I think also it's important. A lot of times people use modeling and a generic term. Well, oh, find the best people and model them. Well, the challenge is if you model the best people, what you're going to do is you're also going to get all their negative shit. Mm -hmm. You know, and Richard Bandler, uh, who was the co-creator of NLP, as you know, I was uh, going through some of his programs back in the day and I was sitting down for lunch one day and we started to talk and it was in between one of the breaks of a seminar and I sat at his table and, and then his wife sat down and John Laval and some other people sat down and that were in his crew. I didn't even realize it was his table. I just sat down to eat and we started talking and he asked me some things I was doing. And I told him I was working on a project where I was modeling, you know, we we're modeling some of the top salespeople in the company and using the insight to build a, uh, a very focused or customized program for the company. And he said, um, don't model, don't model people. He said, if you model people, you get everything, bad and good. He says, what you want to do is model the strategies. Go down and elicit the strategies that work, that are separate from the person, and extract them out. Mm -hmm. And it, it was a, a really good, it was a, a really good deep conversation. And it was funny because uh, as we're sitting there at the table, all of a sudden we both look up. We're really together in this convo, and we look up, and there's like 30 people that were in the program that were now standing, circled around the lunch table, listening to our conversation. And, and, and Richard looks up and goes, I didn't know I was having a seminar. You people go eat your lunch, be gone. <laughs> so, but you know, those are things that really, you know, those are a few of the things that really, uh, the military, my time with ARA, and then learning from other people, um, how to specialize in, in learning really helped me, you know, create, you know, become the, the you know, become, you know, create that wow factor and do what I do. So I love it. I love it. And over all the years, what's a moment that made you feel incredibly humble? Well, <laughs> you know, at my age now, there's always quite a few. But, you know, there's one that stood out for me that uh, a few years ago that really hit home was, I, you know, is the, uh, the, you know, the hero's journey story. A lot of people talk about the hero's journey. You know, there's the hero. The hero has to, you know, um, overcome an obstacle and then from the obstacle they have to learn something or acquire something and they go on their journey and they either succeed or they fail right um i listened to a, an example of that but it was given in a different perspective was that in the work that we do in helping people and and helping organizations become more successful is a lot of times we as consultants trainers advisors coaches want to be the hero. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because, you know, you've got a lot, you've got some specialized knowledge, you have experience, uh, you've already walked the terrain, meaning is that you've done the things that they want to do. So that that's valuable. But a lot of times, you know, and for me, I, I show up, well, hey, you know, I'll, here's the hero, I'll help you. You know, here I come to save the day. But I listened to an individual who presented the hero's journey from a different perspective. And he, and it really was humbling. And the sense is, he said, he goes, in the work you do, you are not the hero. Mm. 
your customer, the client, the organization, the people in that organization are the heroes. Um, what you really are is you are a, uh, a mentor, a guide, a provider to the hero on their journey because they're the one that has to, you know, overcome the obstacle. They're the one that has to fight the bat fight the battles. They're the one that has to make the decisions. They're the one that will decide whether they succeed and, you know, or not. And so the idea was, is that, um, you know, is for me, the big humbling thing was realizing, you know, I'm not the hero. They're the hero, you know, that I'm the, you know, I'm, uh, I'm Yoda to Luke Skywalker, uh, you know, or you're the, uh, Morpheus to their Neo or Hamish, uh, to cat, you know, to, uh, to cat, you know, was it Hamish to Katniss, you know, you're the guy, you're Merlin to, you know, to, uh, to King Arthur. It's this idea that you are, um, a mentor, a provider, an advisor to the hero in the journey. And that really, it really did change my perspective a lot. And it was humbling to kind of, you know, under hear that, understand it and realize it. And I think that's something that I think everybody who is providing solutions to their customers, whatever it is you do, is realizing you're not the hero, your customer's the hero. You're just a, um, a part of the journey. An important part, they need it, but apart. Yeah. I had a very similar experience with this concept. I, I remember it, it, it's a game changer because I remember sitting through seminar after seminar after seminar and I had to travel around the world and speak at some and just listen to others. And I kept hearing the same story, which was someone on stage talking about how once their life was great and then they were knocked down, they were sleeping on their friends, sisters, cousins, brothers, aunts, cousins, <laughs> whatever, so-and-so's couch, down and out, couldn't figure out what to do with their life eventually found a spark, battled through the hills, made it back to this moment of glory, has had their ups and downs, and now have truly reached the pinnacle of whatever it is that life, you know, and they're talking about health, wealth, travel, whatever. And, and you know, you too can be like me and be a hero if you run to the back of the room and sign up now. And, and <laughs> my wife laughed when she heard this. She's like, everyone has the same story. And, and I started laughing and, and it was the realization where it's like, wait a minute, people. And if you look at, I think it's GoPro, it's be your own hero. That concept of people want to be the hero nowadays. And, and like you said, that to have the, the, the insight to be able to step into the role as, as just a guide, a friend that says, Hey, you're the hero. You know what to do. Let me help just connect a couple dots for you or help you see some part of yourself you've never seen or, or help you step into a place that you didn't know existed. And all of a sudden, kapow, it all works. And you get to go be your hero. There's something special about that, that dynamic. And it Absolutely. transforms the entire industry of training as a whole. Because no longer is the person the, the expert with the five golden pillars of whatever. Now it's like, hey, you know, we have some frameworks. But you're the hero. Step in and, and make the magic happen. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I do. I really think is... I think that is the key thing. Um, and there's nothing, you know, you don't take away from your expertise. I mean, I can tell you time and time again, you know, working with companies on four different continents, you know, from Bangkok and Bangladesh to, you know, Modesto, California or Zurich. And I will tell you, you know, CEOs and senior executives will always pick people or teams that have done the job before successfully versus somebody or a team that has potential. You know, you know, because they got a track record. So there's nothing taken away from someone's expertise or from your knowledge or the work you've done. And that's that's what gives you the credibility to be the advisor and the guide is that you've already done what they want to do. You've walked the terrain that they're trying to walk and you know where to step. You know, you know which path not to take. You know, some skill sets that that you can transfer that they're going to need on this journey. But in the end. They got to do it because, you know, we're not the ones that are there. Even if you're coaching, we're not the ones that are actually doing it. And I and I agree 100 percent. And and I think that is just the uh, that model of, you know, of tell your story and how you were have the tragedy is is it's just a, it's a it's a model. I mean, it's nothing wrong with it. But I, I think that small shift of saying, hey, let me show you a way, not the way, but a way can make a big difference. I think there's a layer of this and I'll throw this out there for people listening. Cause I know becoming an influencer is a big deal nowadays. And, <laughs> and I'll, I'll show you how this ties in. And, and 
you know, I had this young guy hit me up the other day and he's like, Hey, I want to help grow your brand online. I said, okay, what's, what's your way to do it? And he said, we need you to stand out. And I said, okay, how do I stand out? He's like, we need more pictures with your face on it, with your quote, so that people can deeply get invested and connect with you as an influencer, as a thought leader. And I said, okay, how does my beautiful mug somehow influence people better? <laughs> and he's like, because then they have a deep connection with you and they start to relate that you truly are, are the thought leader that they can go to. And I said, well, well, you know, here's the thing. I'm trying to stand out. Who am I trying to stand out from? And, and what and how does this help me stand out? And he's like, well, you know, uh, and he started listing off everyone else who, who has a big brand in the personal development industry. He goes, you have to stand out like they do and do something different like they do. And I said, wait a second. You're telling me to stand out like they do by copying what they do? I, I don't, I, I think you have your strategy backwards, my friend. <laughs> and I said, but let me, let me say, what do you see on my page? And my page is just a bunch of quotes. And he says, well, your page is normal and ordinary. There's nothing special about it. There's just a bunch of quotes. And I said, well, what do the quotes say? And he's like, well, it says all kinds of just hype up bullshit that no one reads anyways. And I said, really? And I said, but, but look at your page. I see a page with a bunch of pictures of you looking awesome in front of cars that you probably don't own. Um, but, but you look really awesome and real powerful, and I'm sure you're a superhero to the world around you. <laughs> and I said, but it's all about you. And I said, if you read my page, my page has nothing to do with me. I've, I've learned the lesson of, of trying to be a guide for people, which means take myself out of it and just take everything I know and pour it into the comment section of every one of those posts that if they read it and take time to assimilate it, it's just pointing them in the right direction, giving them hope and, and showing them a little strategy that might help today. And I said, I think what's different is, is when you transform the whole thought process. Um, and so circling back for everyone who, who's listening, you know, really, truly, if, if you do this same thought, but you do your own quote unquote social media and or influencer analysis of, of what your real mission is, because so many people say their mission is to help others. And then you look at their page and it's a thousand pictures of themselves looking awesome. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sure that helps somebody somewhere. Um, but, but, you know, I, I saw a video from Prince EA, he was just receiving award and he says, you know, if you're an influencer, if you're influencing others, what are you influencing them to do, to feel, to think, to experience? Are you bringing goodness into their life or are you making them want to go buy more shit they can't afford and making them feel bad about themselves for not having the latest outfit or clothes or style or travel trip or whatever? And, and I remember looking at this same concept where we're talking about is becoming that guide and stepping into that place and realizing, wow, I need to make sure that there's a consistent thread of, for me, it's putting goodness into the world, good yeah. thoughts, good feelings, good emotions. And, and it's, how do I do that, you know, online? How do I do that? And how I show up? How do I do that in this, you know, in, in the conversation we're having and in, in a training, how do you bring forth the types of things that, that bring out the best in human beings around you instead of just constantly putting them in a state of anxiety, fear, or feeling like they're not enough and they need to buy the next thing of a bobber just to keep up with everybody else. Um, I, I think it'll start to transform the psychology and the experience people have in day-to-day -day life as that ripples from people teaching incredibly inside of organizations all the way to what you know anyone listening puts up on the next post of their Instagram channel that concept of choose things that really truly serve a person in your community. Um, and then the other aspect is, is make it shareable, make it something that someone reads and goes, yes, that's a message I, I think the world needs more of. And then they instantly hear it, feel it and then share it. And, and if you're trying to grow your, your, your reach, shareability is one of the biggest keys there. And I think same thing in philosophies, Randy, like your training in companies, when they hear something that just resonates, they go, you know what? I have a friend that works at another company down the road. They need to hear this. Can you, can we, can I introduce you? Can we do this for them? Like when it really uh, resonates, I think something absolutely. special happens in those moments. Well, and that's where, you know, the, you know, in, in the space, when it comes to training and development or consulting to companies in the space is that, you know, it, you know, I can tell you, uh, I've never had a CEO or a owner of a company reach out to me because of a, of a post or an image on Instagram. That's, that's not how it's going to happen. Yep. Uh, it's, you know, it's really, it's conversations. Yep. 
it's it's conversations a lot of times that refer from referrals from people who had experiences and other leaders um, and it's conversations. It's a, a conversation about capab new capabilities. It's a conversation about sharing insight. And, uh, and I agree. And I definitely, uh, listen, I've always found that I'm not saying that any of those things can't enhance or help, but I think in the end, um, the truth is, I think the work that we do, the track record and the results we produce for people and for clients are what speaks for themselves. Yeah. That is what, you know, is, uh, so if anything, it's, you know, if you've got a track record and you got results, put that out there because now you're giving people a real reason to believe they can, that it can be done. That's right. That's right. That, that was a piece of advice my dad gave me a long time ago. He said, when you're starting something new, he said, here'd be my best tip. Take whatever you have, come up with an actual price of what you charge for it. Go find 10 of 20 people and say, listen, here's what I would normally charge for it. I, I'm willing to do for it for less as long as I deliver five to 10 times the value, you'd be able to write, you'd be willing and able to write me a solid endorsement and testimonial. Now, if I say, right. you don't owe me anything, but if I'm, if I really deliver, please write me a solid endorsement. And like you said, take those 10 to 20 pieces of social proof of actual results. And now you have something to stand on to share with the world around you and go, Hey, here's what I've done for 20 different organizations. And now I'd like to do it for yours. And, and here's fair market value of, of what it's worth. Let's do it. I agree. It's definitely, it's, if you're in that place, absolutely. And I think it's important too, is making sure that, uh, that, that those projects get thoroughly documented yep. and turned into cases because that is what, you know, cases and proof is what is, what is, is where people are going to make decisions on, you know, they're going to evaluate if they like you, if they want to work with you. But in the end, they're going to look at, you know, is do they believe you can help them do what they're trying to do? Yep. I think it's great. It was great advice. Very smart. Very smart. Here's a question. What's been she the most awe-inspiring moment over all these years? Hmm. Uh, you know, I would say I have to go back to, believe it or not, early 90s mm -hmm. uh, graduate school. And I was really studying heavily into Peter Drucker's work who's arguably considered one of the fathers of, of, ma of management, but also another gentleman some people may not know is, a, is Tom Peters. Mm. Uh, Tom Peters wrote the book In Search of Excellence and basically turned American management upside down on its head uh, and basically told the management world that uh, they were doing it wrong. They were so focused on numbers and, and, um, and the hard stuff, they were ignoring uh, the human factor other factors that had an impact. And uh, he was a, a partner at McKinsey at the time, ended up leaving. But I really really delved into his work and I came across an article. To this day, I still can't find. It was in Woman's Working Magazine, which I don't even know if it even exists anymore. And it was an article called The Skill Merchant. Hmm. And what it really talked about was the idea that in the future, now bear in mind, this is the 90s, that in the future, people would not have you know, permanent jobs, that you would almost move from project to project, um, engagement to engagement, or assignment to assignment, and that you would ideally have uh, assignment managers or career managers that would manage your career, and that your, your future success was all tied to two things. One, your skill sets, and expertise and your accomplishments and contributions in the work and the assignments that you did. Kind of, you know, it's kind of, you know, kind of interesting how it kind of comes back full circle to this conversation. And, uh, and that was the whole thing. And the article went on to talk about different examples. Like if you look at a movie set, you know, like all this talent comes together for six to nine months to make a movie, the director, the screenwriter, the cast, uh, you know, the, the film, the film people, and all this stuff comes together and they're all talent, all come together to produce something. And then when it's done, it's finished, it's released. And these people may, th this group as a whole will probably never work together again of all the same people. Some people might connect in other projects, but then they will go on to the next project and the next project. And, and it really hit home to me about how important it was in the few, this was the 90s, how important it was to not only maintain skills that were relevant to, you know, the, you know, the job I was in, but constantly looking to the future is what do I need to know? 
What do I need to be able to do to be relevant, to be uh, successful? And that really was, you know, at the time that hit me, it was an aha. And to this day, I've never forgot about it. And it's, you know, and I would say it's probably shaped where I'm at to this very day. Wow. Wow. Powerful. It's amazing. One piece of, of knowledge crossing your path at the right moment in life can transform so much over, over the years. Oh, absolutely. I, no I, also, I also want to know where Woman's Working Magazine is at this point. <laughs> yeah, I too. Just, I know. I know. It's 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 bizarre. You're like Woman's Working Magazine and the article from the '90s, and yeah, it was just I, I had it, and I don't know where it is, and I I wish I could find it. Um, but it was just it was one of the best articles I've ever read, and it truly is an insight. Very cool. Very cool. Here's a question: What about your greatest fear? Well. I would tell you my greatest fear is a world without coffee. <laughs> well, we don't have show sponsors, but if we did, I think we would need a coffee company in here. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, I would love to have a friend, a friend with benefits. And by that, I mean somebody who owns a coffee company and the benefits being free coffee. No, the, uh, yeah, you can't tell by now I'm fanatic about my coffee. The, um, you know, I would say for me right now in the place that I'm at, I, I constantly uh, um, am afraid of really not having enough time to fit everything into the trainings I do for my clients. It's like, you know, that I, I can't, you know, is it enough? Do I have enough? You know, because time has become such a, is such a valuable commodity you know, uh, people coming out, you know, pull, people pulling management and people out of, you know, out of the field, if you will, or off the job for two, three, four days is a significant deal. I mean, it's, it's not something to be taken lightly. So um, I'm always, you know, afraid of, of my lack of time and, and will I make sure that I can get what they need to know and be able to do in the time frame that we do it in? You know, and and some of the ways we do, I start to do it now is I really look at, you know, and I'm actually building one right now. We have a, uh, another sales force we have to launch, help a company launch that's growing in new in like 12 new markets. And uh, we have to, uh, but this one's a train the trainer. So we're, we're bringing in uh, 50 management from the field. Some are being new hires. We're going to train them to deliver the training in the field. So. I got to look at that and say, okay, what is everything we can train them on? You know, what's then start to, to separate it from there. What's really nice or cool to have and then start to strip it into is what do they absolutely must know and what do they must be able to do? But I mean, but that really is something I always go through for myself. Every time I'm designing or delivering a program is make is, you know, is, am I leaving something out? Am I leaving something out that they really needed? And if so, how do I, how do I get it back? You know, but fortunately, you know, technology kind of is kind of helping us close the bridge on that. So. It's true. It's true. What about this? What are you most excited about in the future? Well, you know, kind of playing off, you know, the technology is really is I'm very, very excited about, you know, where the future of like AI, artificial intelligence, VR, virtual reality AR augmented reality. I'm really, really excited to see how that is going to enhance the learning experience. You know, what as trainers and developers, what we can do with that for people, because um, that's exciting to me. You know, I, I'm playing around with different devices now. Again, right now, a lot of it's, you know, it's not, it's, uh, it's exciting to play with and to see, but that really has me excited. I'm also um, really blown away with some of the advancements now in assessment research that we've been able to participate in and use because, you know, you, th you and I were talking about culture earlier. And, um, and right now, when you think about it, there are such advancements going on in scientific research around diagnostic assessments and tools that we can now give insight to leaders and owners of companies uh, in hours that used to take weeks or months to gather. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, uh, you know, one we're doing right now, um, there's a, a research study that was done through the Fisher Institute where they took a thousand, uh, by assessing and evaluating over a thousand companies, entrepreneurial companies, somewhere between 
you know, like five people up to like 700. And over a course of time frame, they looked at these thousand companies and were looking for patterns. And in the end of it, they built a, uh, a, a body of research that showed how companies grow, that, that, that there is a way in which uh, a company can manage the growth. They can know what's coming ahead of time and be prepared at every stage of the growth because the one thing they found out that was really amazing is that the single biggest factor that affects a company's growth is really one thing. It's really only one thing, and it's not technology. It's people. The more people you add to a company, the more complex the company becomes. And it changes everything. It changes leadership styles. It changes communication. It changes um, how you manage. It changes how you um how you even how you manage and grow the company. So that research that's really exciting because now we've got that research into a platform which used to take could take weeks and, and almost a month between interviews and observations. You now can can codify that information and produce it out into uh, a very succinct you know report and see exactly where a company is on their stage of growth, what their challenges are. Uh, what they should be, what they could, from a growth standpoint, should be focusing on at that stage, um, you know, and where uh, they need to consider also where they need to protect things in the company, where they need to build. So that's, and that's just not happening in business. It's happening in hiring, you know, it's hiring in culture. So that is pretty, um, I'm very excited by that. It just, you know, we, you know, you know, the, the old quote that everyone's drowning in information. There's tons of it. What they really need is wisdom. Well, that's, you know, that ability is, it's not more information that companies need, it's wisdom, it's the insight. And that's what I love is to see these advancements, being able to give leaders of companies the ability to see things that they just couldn't see without, you know, without weeks and months of in-depth looking. And then the ability to make a decision that can truly, you know, when you talk about doing good, I mean, you could really do good. You can, you can make your environment much more, uh, fulfilling for the people that work there, um, and more efficient, more productive, and even better for the customers they serve. So, you know, that is a couple things on the horizon that have me real excited. Very cool. Very cool. I, I'm, I'm also paying attention to those things. I know dad's working with a, a team that's taking all of his content and putting it into an AI bot that'll be able to coach people. Um, ho hopefully just as effective as something that I imagine in that space in future would be, you know, if there's an AI software or bot would, that would be able to read your, your body temperature, your blood pressure, your heart rate, uh, your brain waves, and be coaching you. And as it's sharing information, it sees how you're adjusting and assessing and responding to it. It Absolutely. can obviously be adjusting so quickly to give you the best insights that you can actually best receive and assimilate properly to then use and apply in your own life. Um, and I don't, I don't know how humans will keep up with that, except for, you know, if, if built correctly, it'll be a beautiful contribution to the, to the world around us. It'll be really amazing. Uh, I'm also curious to know more about what you were saying about business growth. Uh, I, I think that'd be something interesting and probably a lot of people listening will, will want to ping you about to, to find out more about that and, and what they can learn or apply in their own businesses. Absolutely. I think, uh, the, um, I think the, uh, the AI thing is amazing. And I will tell you, I, I really believe, I, I don't know when it'll be, but I think we'll have a time where, uh, that people will have their own individual AI mm -hmm. that you literally could correlate. I mean, you know, you know, uh, check your emails, correlate your schedules, cor correlate things in a way to give you insight back. But here's the catch though. I still think in the end, and this, this circles all the way back to what we said in the beginning is, this is like technology, you know, changing the way we do things. It's still going to require people to have uh, new skill sets. So the technology is going to allow us to do things in different ways we couldn't do before, but it's still going to require us to be able to adapt, to be able to manage relationships, to problem solve, to be able to uh, take that information we're going to get and apply it faster. So I, I, it's definitely exciting of where we're going. And I think that kind of the new technology then requires people to stay current with the technology, but also understand how it can integrate, you know, with, you know, with us as humans. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So we're going to transition to the second part of the show real quick. Um, these are quick and specific questions. We call it nuts and bolts. So this is the tangible, practical, tactical, applicable, something someone could listen to and immediately apply into their life or business. And so the first question here is, is where do you focus the majority of your time, thoughts, effort, and energy each day as of right now? The, uh, I think, you know, my first answer, <laughs> the, the uh, of coffee. Yeah, brother, you know it, man. My, my, my blood type is dark roast. The, uh, um, you know, I probably, well, not probably, but I spend most of my time really revolving around a handful of core things. If, if, if I'm not designing, uh, if I'm not designing programs, which I'm in the midst of right now, uh, you know, my office looks like a war room between my monitors and, you know, the walls with projects. So I'm just, I'm in the process of designing. If I'm not designing, I'm in delivery mode. So I'm delivering it either through live trainings, webcasts, or train the trainers. So that's a bulk of my time. And then I spend my time on R and D. So research and development. So it'd be like, you know, um, like I'm flying out next week to Atlanta to a conference that's, you know, with some high level speakers on uh, millennials, future trends, AI, EQ. So I'm, I'm constantly looking for new capabilities. What are new things that people in the companies need? Where is it? What are people doing? So I spend my time on R&D. Um, I'll spend my time on biz dev, business development. So the, in my, you know, for our world, I said before, you know, I don't get clients by sending out newsletters and email and, and sending out, uh, um, Instagram posts and Facebook posts and all this stuff. It, it really comes down through networking relationships and conversations. So um, I do a lot of capabilities briefings, a lot of insight briefings to companies. I used to write white papers, but nobody reads them anymore. So uh, now I do briefings. You know, I mean, that's like the same thing when people ask me, hey, can you tell me more about business growth? Yep. Email me, set up a call. I'll take you through. I'll I'll, I'll take you through a, a briefing. So I spend most of my time on those four areas: design, delivery, R and D, and biz dev. And then my other bucket is my personal life. You know, my family. I'm always with my, you know, my wife and my daughter. Um, we got a unique family setup. You know, my daughter does uh, International Connections Academy virtual school. My wife's one of the number one agents, luxury agents in Tampa. So we have a lot of control over our life and we integrate our businesses and our life together. We travel together, we do things together, you know, so that's really where, you know, for, I spend my time is, is those kind of really five areas. Very cool. What's a key to your success in these five areas? <laughs> you know, the first answer, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, coffee. Um, well, I think a lot of it comes down to in these areas, a lot of it comes down to adapting is is recognizing that uh, adaptive proficiency realizing that you know things change and you have got to change with it design the design factors change uh you know delivering methods for delivery so really um if i said there's one fundamental skill set for me is the ability to be adaptive and agile and that's impair i think and that's something that even all your listeners i don't care what you do or how you do it is the ability to adapt to different people, situations, and circumstances, and to the environment you're in is critical. We're just changing so fast. Um, I also think uh, agility, the ability to move quickly is important. Um, I would also say one thing that is critical, without a shadow of a doubt, that the that's it's an element the world definitely needs way more of, is emotional intelligence. You know, in addition to the fact that we are changing so fast, the world we're in today has become, you know, it's it's very divisive. We have we have a lot of tribes, a lot of people have different thoughts, ideas, opinions, and values, and that is really cool. And I think that's what makes the world an amazing place. Um, I think intelligent people can disagree, but we're getting to a, a phase, and I really think it's a phase. I, I I'm I believe over time it will go away. That if we disagree with one another, um, we get pretty angry about it. And it gets a little ridiculous to the point that, you know, um, it's destructive. And so uh, I think where people need to think about, at least for me, I do it and I build it into everything we do with our clients is 
is really building emotional intelligence. Um, a lot of folks who are familiar with your work and, and your dad's work totally understand managing emotional states. But if you look at emotional intelligence, it breaks down into uh, the interpersonal, the ability to be aware of your emotions and the ability to self-regulate. That right there is fundamentally, um, for me, one of the biggest uh, keys to my success. I mean, listen, you know, I definitely have a tendency to uh, to get angry. Um, it's my it's a style. It's based on my behavioral style. I can go there, but uh, fortunately, you know, I know how to control that. I know, and that is where we need to be at. I think people need to really learn how to be aware of their emotions and uh, control or self-regulate those emotions so they do not become destructive. I mean, hey, there are two things that you can never take back: words out of your mouth and a bullet out of a gun. So. People need to really consider that. And I'm not saying you have to agree with people or you, you, you know, you can have someone, you know, be upset, but you got to control that shit, you know, you, and sometimes you got to lock it down, take a deep breath, walk away and then reset, yeah. you know, um, because that lends itself to relate the relationship side. Um, you cannot maintain or develop or sustain positive relationships personally or professionally if you cannot control your emotions. And so that emotional intelligence piece is definitely critical for me. And here's the cool thing is everyone has it. It's not like you have to go get it. And everyone's got a quotient level, a certain level of measurement. You need to develop it. And it's no different than, you know, than going to the gym or working out. You build it. You know, you work on it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, we've come to our final question of the show. What's one actionable tip we can leave people with? that if they were to just take this from today and use it, they would easily experience some of the success that you've created in your own life and experience thus far? Well, I think it goes back to things we've talked about. And uh, I'll break it down into a series of handful of questions. They, they can apply it right now, immediately, no matter where you are, personally, professionally, an individual, a leader of a company. So here's a, a series of questions. If you think about where you are right now is ask the first question is, what is the end state you're trying to achieve? Mm. You know, um, get that clearly defined where you know what it is. Uh, no, second question is, how will you measure it? You know, how are you gonna know you're on progress to achieve that end state? Then uh, give yourself an honest assessment of where you are right now. Uh, yes, you can use different type of assessments if you have an organization to get better insight or for an individual, but simply you can ask the question, Hey, what are my, what strengths do I need to maximize or build upon? You know, uh, what weaknesses do I need to compensate for? And I'm going to tell you this, there's a lot of people out there. Some are famous. They keep talking about, uh, double down on your strengths and ignore your weaknesses. And I'm going to tell you right now that is, uh, I won't say it's bullshit, but it's, it's not realistic for many people. You have to have a lot of resources. <laughs> you have to have a lot of resources at your disposal to ignore your weaknesses or your blind spots. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, and if you have the resources and you have people and external uh, ways to delegate all that, then by all means. But a lot of people, and for the most part, most people don't have that. And uh, sometimes the job or the things they're doing or the end state they're trying to achieve you know, means you got to compensate for a weakness. So look at the weakness and look at how can you compensate for it? How can you overcome it? Uh, also, as part of the assessing your current state, what are some of the problems that you have to deal? Uh, looking at what, we're looking at the best opportunities. And when I say best opportunities right now um, is, is what are the opportunities that are going to move you towards the end state and staying focused? This kind of goes back to distraction management. It's so easy, shiny new object. This, that, this opportunity, this you gotta, you gotta zero back in and and be honest with if the end state's where you want to go. Uh, what are the opportunities you can you can go after, and then also being aware of any threats that are gonna you know uh, gonna have an impact on that. Once you've made that assessment, then you gotta define out what are the key strategies and tactics you're gonna use to close the gap. How are you gonna get from where you are to where you want to be, and then from there. And here's the part that most people skip, most companies skip. Because I know you probably have business owners and CEOs right now listening that are like, yeah, Randy, that's solid. But, you know, we do that already. You know, we, we think this way. Now, that's fantastic. But a lot of people don't do is they don't ask the question, 
what are the knowledge, skills, and abilities that I need or my people need to execute on those strategy and tactics. That's the part that a lot of people skip over. They just assume, oh, well, we know where we're going. We know where we are. We've got our strategies. Let's go execute. And that is about 80%. But that 20%, that the difference that really makes the difference is, you, you know, you've got to have the right capabilities to do it. Um, uh, uh, an older general that I was uh, exposed to back in my time, you know, always said this and I never forgot it. Enthusiasm is not a replacement for capability mm. and neither is hope. So uh, is be ruthlessly honest is what are the skill sets? What's the knowledge, skills and abilities that have to be developed to execute? And if you do that and then go acquire them as quickly as possible. And that is where I, I think, you know, if people take that right now, they can definitely, you know, they can move the needle. If they're a company and they've got um, employees or teams, they can definitely, you know, up their game. No question about it. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, if people want to learn more of how to get in touch with you and have this conversation, this briefing, um, we're going to make sure the links are in the show notes so they can click on that, click on the show note links and go right to you. Uh, but since we're here, would you mind sharing with them where would they go? To, to find more about you and how they might be able to have one of those briefings with you? Uh, snapshot, um, uh, you can go to my website at randyzales.com. The, uh, the best way though, absolutely the best way is uh, I'm a one-to-one uh, -one -one relationship person. So the work that I do is, you know, is not sent out via, you know, uh, promotional offers and emails is I have real conversations. So if, you know, if you're a business owner or a leader and anything that, Jarek and I have talked about catches your attention or is making you think in some way that this is something that I want to know more about, then email me at randy at randyzales.com and uh, let me know a little bit about, about you, what you're thinking, what caught your attention. And uh, I will share with you, you know, uh, some of the briefings we have. We do brief, I do briefings. Uh, we do capabilities briefings on some of the work we do. We share some of the case studies that we do. And then like on the, the business growth, we have a whole uh, briefing you know, on that approach. So that's the best way to connect with me. Very cool. Well, thank you, sir, for taking the time to share with us. Always. Thank you for everyone for taking the time to tune in. Uh, we, if you like this episode and you know someone new, who needs to hear it, please share it with them. We believe that sharing is caring. We like caring people around here, so make sure to share. Uh, and then I look forward to seeing you all next episode. <laughs>